Scripture reading this morning uh, will come from the book of Exodus, chapter 2, and I will read the whole chapter for us. If you do not have a Bible, if you, if you don't have an iPad or an iPhone, um, I can't help you, I guess. I don't know. But there, there is a Bible, hopefully somewhere near you, in front of you, underneath the seat, a uh, pew Bible. Exodus chapter 2 can be found on page 45 of that Bible. So therefore, indeed, I can help you. But please read along as we hear from God's Word. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a, so a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came from slavery, came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. The grass withers, the flowers fade. 
the word of our God will stand forever. We saw last week uh, some themes that we're going to see picked up upon in chapter 2. We have God enacting His mission throughout the world through a people that are related to Father Abraham that are referenced uh, right there at that last verse, that He has made a covenant relationship with a chosen people to bless the nations through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants. These descendants have landed into Egypt with a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And therefore, we see the mission yet again under severe threat. As the Egyptians continue uh, where we left off in chapter 1, trying to get rid of all of the Hebrew male children. Because that's what Pharaoh said. But what is God going to do in his mission? We see this morning that he introduces the Redeemer. If we know the story well, it is Moses. I'm going to look at three brief things. In God's mission, God uses unlikely heroes. In God's mission, he uses difficult circumstances. And in God's mission, he responds. Firstly, the first ten verses show us that in God's mission, God uses unlikely heroes, and to begin with, He uses regular believers. See this in verses 1 through 4. God uses Moses' parents, but especially his mom, to preserve his life. Now, uh, the names of his parents will be given in a few chapters. His dad is not mentioned here. He's in the background. He's He's good with what his wife is doing with his son, but he's out as a slave all day. So he's, he's gone. So in the foreground here, we have Moses' uh, mom. She hides him from the Egyptians for three months because, again, as you remember, he'd, he'd be put to death if the Egyptians found him. And his mom hides him uh, for three months because, you know, every mom would know you know, especially before they start walking, you may be able to hide them. Uh, but after about three months, it gets a little more difficult. So she did what she could to preserve his life. Verse 3 details Moses' mom making a basket to place him in uh, by the river. Uh, this was common, unfortunately, in the ancient world for children that uh, may have not been desired. This is even happening in Jesus' day in ancient Rome. Uh, just leaving infants for, for the gods to take care of as they would. But this was in uh, Egyptian folklore about their gods as well. Uh, that doesn't mean this isn't historical. But in essence, Moses, who's the author of the first five books of the Bible, is recounting here what happened to him based on what his mom told him, most likely. But it's interesting that the word for basket is the same word used in Genesis 6 to 8 for the word ark, that God is going to yet again use an ark to save his own people from water, from enemies, from terror, which again is just a little reminder that this is God's mission. He will not fail, and no one can prevent that. The text goes on. Verse 4 says his sister comes down to the river after Moses has been dropped by the river in this basket or ark. 
She comes down to know what will happen to him, and the name is not given. But unless this is another sister that no one knows about, this will be Miriam. It's a family affair here to say, what is going to happen to our, our son, to our brother? And the text continues. Miriam is the one who providentially intervenes for her brother. He, she asks permission for Pharaoh's daughter. It's like, I can find someone who really loves this child and will take real good care of him. Mom. So, Miriam goes and gets mom who will care for Moses, will nurse him. And the, the point that I pick up from these few verses is that he's using ordinary women, doing, doing ordinary things to, to preserve his mission. And then the everyday calling of being a good sister who's, who's thoughtful and caring about her brother and, and, and being a mom, as, as, as simple and as mundane as that seems, as our culture seems to think that's a stupid waste of time. God says that's a worthy calling. God, God's placed all of us in callings, all of us in situations, whether we're a female or a mom or not. And God will use the regular, ordinary faithfulness of believers and call it significant. Without Miriam, without Moses' mom, there's no exodus. Regular believers in their daily callings, in their family life and work life, being faithful. You may not read about it in the newspaper, but God sees it. But He also will use, I'm going to call it irregular unbelievers. That's about the best way I can describe Pharaoh's daughter because we got a lady who's coming down to the river to bathe who has a, a group of women coming after her to look after her. I mean, th- this is like celebrity. She's coming down to the river to bathe quite possibly because like most Egyptians, they worshipped the river. They, there was a god attached to the river. And so she thinks there's something about the water. There's something about being in the river. She's a unbeliever. But she's highly irregular. Couldn't be more different from Miriam and Moses' mom because she's in the wealthiest, most established household that there ever was at that time. She arrives at the river with servants. She bathes in the river they find Moses. They receive Miriam and receive Miriam's advice. They receive Moses' mom and invite her in to take care of her own Hebrew child and they pay her for it. That, That should not happen. Moses should be dead. Miriam and his mom should be dead. But in God's common grace, he still works through people who won't even profess his name to accomplish his mission because he's in control of all events, regardless of whether or not someone is even bending the knee like they will do one day. He can still use them 
God uses all of us believers in our normal callings. He uses even the most powerful pagans sometimes to uh, produce his mission, to push on his mission. Sometimes he asks us to do crazy things. Sometimes he asks us to do mundane things. I was reflecting on our officer retreat with my wife uh, last night about interest in the public school system and all of that, and she just immediately was like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, at one of our elementary schools, there's a men's ministry. They slung gravel all Saturday. They prayed with the principal. They did a prayer walk through the, through the school. They're not, they're not Reformed Presbyterian. You, you won't see that in the newspaper. Ordinary believers do, doing ordinary things. And, and even using unbelievers at times, medical community, school district, to care for children. It's God's mission. And he uses unlikely hero, heroes. And as this text should probably reflect, uh, heroines. But secondly, in his mission, he uses difficult circumstances. Verses 11 to 22. Moses, like us, is called to confront injustice. Moses grows up uh, by recollection of Stephen's sermon, Acts 7. Moses is about 40. He comes across uh, a very serious situation, which is probably not uncommon, unfortunately, where uh, a Hebrew... Is, is essentially being murdered. His life is being taken by an Egyptian. Uh, that's, that's wrong. Regardless of what religion you are, regardless of, of where you grew up, uh, murder is wrong. And so Moses is saying, I've, I've got to do something. So he does. And this is essentially setting the scene uh, for Moses as the deliverer. That, that he is somebody who, who has been brought in and adopted into Pharaoh's house. He could turn a blind eye and say nothing and keep going on with a probably fantastic salary. And, and, and the opportunity to live as long as he would want to live because he is an Egyptian now, not an Israelite. But twice in verse 11, it says he looked upon whose people? His people. He's willing to still identify with the Hebrews. Even that would, that would garner probably a death sentence to him. He's, he's willing to sacrifice a life of comfort and luxury in Pharaoh's house to say, no, not, you're not going to do that to my people, to, to God's people. I'm going to confront the injustice that I see. And there are consequences. Pharaoh finds out about it because we see the Hebrews even knew about it. He thought, he thought no one saw. The Hebrews knew about it. Pharaoh finds out about it. Death sentence. That's serious. So serious that he runs. He runs away. And we're told it's Midian, another country. Stephen, again, says in Acts 7, uh, before he, he's killed that Moses defended the oppressed man. Which echoes Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, which is really, really a call to all of us. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. 
Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. You know, part of what that proverb is saying, be willing to speak for people who can't speak for themselves. But brothers and sisters, in our culture, just like in Moses' culture, to, to do that and to participate in God's mission will mean that we probably will not agree with Democrats on what is unjust. There may be times when we can't agree with Republicans on what is unjust. What are we going to base it on? This. Moses was willing to die. Are we willing to confront injustice based on how God defines it? Not how it, the Egyptians define it. Or how maybe our own country defines it. But that, that gets muddled even more. It gets even more complicated, though, for Moses and for us. As we think about, well, he's, he's just fled to another country. That's serious. So we not only, if we're in God's mission, one difficult circumstance is we confront injustice. We, I could talk all day about that. I could talk all day about this, which is that we commit to sojourn. We commit to sojourn. If you continue the end of verse 15, uh, again, we're told uh, he flees to the land of Midian. He sits down by a well. Uh, that's a very significant little phrase that even as he's on the run, as he's sojourning in, in another country, he may not even know the language, there's a well. God's there. He's providing. But he's still called to sojourn and to travel and to not fit in. For Moses' entire life, he is not going to fit in. He is a Hebrew who was raised in an Egyptian household, who is sent to Midian. He ends up, again, the deliverance comes up. He saves Ruel's daughters. Ruel, El is short for El Shaddai or El Ohim. Maybe he was a God-fearer in some way, but he's a completely different culture. And he gives his daughter Zipporah to Moses to wed. I'm already lost. This is his third culture to be in? The, the brother doesn't fit in because this place is not his home. And it's not your home. You're a sojourner. We're reminded of this that he even names his child a Hebrew word meaning traveler or sojourner. That when he has to confront injustice, he has to do so as an outsider, even as a member of Pharaoh's house. Even when he marries another lady who's a Cushite, the book of Numbers will tell us that even Aaron and his sister Miriam will confront him for an interracial marriage. Even in his own people, he will not be welcomed, and he will have to stand up for what is right. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's relevant for, for me, at least. I'm going to be on God's mission. 
even if I'm promised endless job opportunities and, and comforts to say no to certain things that God says. He's a sojourner. We are sojourners. It's good that if, if you feel comfortable here, you know, you feel like you can live here for a while. But it can be a, a problem for us spiritually, though, if we're too comfortable. Your, your identity, mine too, it's not in being an American. It's not in being from Mississippi or from the Delta, from Hernando, from Ole Miss or Mississippi State, from your occupation, from your income level, from your ACT score or your GPA, but in union with Christ. Nothing else. Not saying those things don't matter. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. That's not why we're here. My family often doesn't fit in. We moved around a lot. I'm a pastor. Some people don't want to hang out with pastor. I, I can be cool. Okay, sometimes. But I, I also, uh, I married a European who sometimes may not really remember the, what the difference is between a quarterback and a running back. Although I think she knows pitcher and catcher because she's a cricket fan. This is not, this is not our home. We, we may not fit in as a community in North Mississippi, in America, in Hernando, in DeSoto County. And I was reminded again this morning that most of us are here by conviction and not by upbringing. And I mean particularly Christ's covenant. I'm, I'm, I wasn't raised Reformed Presbyterian. I'm here because of the Spirit's work in my, my life by conviction. My parents, not raised Reformed Presbyterian, they're here by conviction. And again, I was reminded this morning, Bob, Sean, Jazz, not raised Reformed Presbyterian, but, but here by conviction. I can look at dozens of you and say the very same thing. It, it would be easy in many ways for everybody that I just mentioned, including my own wife who not only wasn't raised Presbyterian by conviction, she wasn't raised in this country. Be easy to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna not do that anymore. But we're here by conviction because of what the Spirit is doing. Moses is gonna have to stand up to his own sister. Moses is gonna have to stand up to his adoptive parents, who are the most powerful people in the world, and say, Let my people go. I don't fear you. Because he's a sojourner who has an inheritance that's coming like we do that can't be touched, that isn't rooted and based here. And these relationships. But we have encouragement this morning because it ends on kind of a somber note again, but there is some comfort in his mission. God himself is going to respond. Verse 23 tells us, the king of Egypt dies, 
But there's no end to this slavery and suffering. The people are actually groaning. A change in politics does not fix their problem because they're sojourners. Even another change in politics doesn't fix it. They still are persecuted. What does God do? Are you groaning? You have anxiety? You have concern? You have unanswered questions? What's God going to do? Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. They cried in distress, groaned in hurt, and then cried out for change. Then Moses records at least three things that God does. He hears their groaning, he remembers his covenant, and he knew his people. It even says he, he saw them. You ever feel that you're not heard, that you're not seen, that, that someone doesn't actually understand or know? Well, God says, I do. You're heard. You're seen. I know you. But I'm going to remember what I've already promised. In covenant relationship with you through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Pharaoh can't stop it. He can't break it. I'm in control. This is my mission. You are my people. I'm going to respond. Same words from Genesis 18. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. The outcry has come to me. When God's people deal with injustice, they deal with suffering, He hears. He knows. He remembers. This all is a prelude to the Exodus itself is God will save Moses from denial. We also see back in verse 1 that Moses belongs to the tribe of Levi, that the, this will be a very significant tribe of priests, of prophets, of judges. The Levites will have all of these people ministering in the Old Covenant, but, but where, where are all these people pointing to? Where are all the Levites going to be pointing to? Where are Moses' ancestors going to be pointing to in the Old Covenant? They're going to be pointing to a new covenant, the fulfillment of the covenant of Abraham, which is the new covenant that we proclaim every Sunday. The new covenant in His blood, which is shed for the remission of all of our sins, even while we were His enemies. Christ died for us. Moses is not our ultimate deliverer. Jesus is. Does God hear when we suffer? Has He remembered His covenant does he know what we're dealing with? Look at the empty cross, and the answer is always yes. And it's always, I'm coming back to deal with all of the injustice. Even if you only see pictures and glimpses now, Jesus himself will be plunged in a flood that the Father will not prevent like He did for the Israelites so that we would eventually go free from all of our sin. Hebrews 12, 
We'll speak it this way. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look to Jesus if you are weary and faint-hearted amidst depression and injustice and difficulty and suffering. He suffered on your behalf so that one day there won't be any more suffering. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for sending your spirit to convict us, to lead us into this place, to bind us together in union with with yourself and with each other, May we walk from this place more equipped to not simply identify with with Moses, but to identify with your son, Jesus, who fulfilled your mission and will bring it to completion on the day of glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let us pray together. Jesus, you have brought us to a place of conviction about who we are and about who you are, which if allowed.